Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The term mastermind was originally written in Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. Before that, the earliest documentation that we have of a mastermind group was Ben Franklin's group that he used to meet every single week in a tavern that he called Huntus. Nation, there's no doubt about it. Life is too short to do it alone, and it's not very much fun to do it alone in. Nation, I urge you to go to scalinguph2o.com and find out if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you. I'd love to have a 15-minute call with you to explain all things Rising Tide Mastermind and see if this is a group that's right for you and you are right for the group. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Trace Blackmore here, your host for your favorite podcast. What podcast is that? Well, I'm sure glad you asked. It's Scaling Up H2O, of course. Weren't you listening? Folks, I love bringing this podcast to you. And an ask I have for you is that if you could go to your favorite podcast player and let people know that you like us. Leave a review, uh, leave a like, whatever it is you do on your particular platform, I would love for you to do that. I would also love for you to tell somebody in our industry that we have a podcast and help them subscribe to it. One of the things that we are trying to do is grow the Scaling Up Nation because as we grow the Scaling Up Nation, there is just so much that we can do with the podcast because we are serving so many people. And the only way we're going to do that is with your help. So thank you in advance for doing all of that. There's no doubt about it. I think we have one of the best jobs in the world. And of course, celebrating this job is something that we do not do enough of. But let's face it, without water, we do not have a job. There's a lot of people on our planet that just do not have safe, clean, close by drinking water. In fact, there are over 2 billion people on this planet that do not have access to clean, readily available drinking water. And one of the things that you can do to bring awareness to this is you can celebrate World Water Day. This is a activity that people have been doing since 1993, and it's all about bringing an awareness around the global water crisis. Now, there's no reason that we can't bring an awareness to the global water treatment crisis as we are celebrating the fact that we have one of the best jobs in the world, and it is in water. So it is my hope that you celebrate World Water Day on March 22nd, and then something you can do to celebrate World Water Day on March 22nd is you can sign up for the Global 6K for Water. That's taking place May 20th. 
And for all the information you want to know about that, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash 6K. Of course, all of that will be on our calendar of events, so feel free to check that out. Speaking of events, I've been talking about this every week because I am just so gosh darn excited about it. And that is the Association of Water Technologies Technical Training Seminars. We've got two of those. One next week, that's going to be in San Diego, California, February 21st through 24th. And then we're going to have another one in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, March 29th through April 1st. Nation, I'm going to be there. If you practice the type of water treatment that I practice, I hope to see you there and we can talk all about what you are going to do for World Water Day if you are in San Diego, California next week. Some other items that you might be interested in is the Water Environmental Federation's 38th Annual Water Reuse Symposium. That's going to be in my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia, March 5th through 8th. More information about that will be on our events page. Also, the American Water Works Association and Water Environmental Federation is having their Young Professionals Summit. All those people out there that consider themselves young and professional, you might want to look into this. That's going to be March 26th through 31st in Sacramento, California. And this is all about water and wastewater individuals, young individuals in the industry that are exploring their role, trying to figure out what they can do in the water sector. So more information about this on our events page. Also, if you are in Melbourne, Australia, the Australian Smart Water Utilities Conference is taking place March 2nd and 3rd. More information about this conference on our events page. And then finally, the 2023 BOMA International Medical Office Building and Healthcare Real Estate Conference. Of course, BOMA is the Building Owners and Managers Association. That conference is taking place April 26th through 28th in Chicago, Illinois. Folks, I was on the board of BOMA for three years. It is a great organization, and I have to tell you, they are hungry for knowledge around water treatment. All of their facilities use water, but there are very few water treatment professionals that are able to help them in a way without selling them. And I'm sure if you've ever been to a conference, you know when you are being sold and not educated. So there is just a wealth of opportunity within BOMA in your hometown if you want to get involved with them. All these events that I mentioned will be on our events page. In fact, the entire year of events will be on our events page. So check that out. See what you want to learn more about and then go learn it. Well, somebody who helps us learn each and every week here is James McDonald and a brand new Periodic Water Table with James. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's Periodic Water Table topic. 
If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is nitrite. What is nitrite used for? What systems is nitrite used within? What is a typical dosage range? Can you test for nitrite in the field? If so, what tests are available? How are the results expressed for nitrite? What could happen if two people are unknowingly talking different units when comparing nitrite test results? What happens if nitrite is overfed? What happens if nitrite is underfed? What is the potential impact of microbiological activity upon nitrite? What are possible byproducts from any microbiological impacts? What could it mean when the connectivity of a closed-loop system has remained the same, but nitrite levels are dropping? What is nitrite often blended with for more complete system protection? Remember, knowledge is power, and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learned to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalingupH2O. I look forward to learning more from you. As always, thank you for that, James. Well, Nation, I am really excited to get to our interview today. We have a returning guest today, so I'm not going to keep you in suspense any longer. Here is that interview. My lab partner today is returning guest, Jeff Garrett, who puts the Garrett in Garrett Callahan. Welcome, Jeff. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Let me tell you, you were on episode 268, and the Scaling Up Nation loves you. Great feedback, lots of demand. They wanted you back, and here you are. I love being here, so thank you for having me. I it's really appreciate it. So looking forward to our talk today. We're going to go all over the map, and I'm really excited for our talk as well. But I just want to go on the record that you and I met on a hang. Thank you for coming to that hang. I picked on you a little bit, and then you and I have become friends, and I love it. Yeah, it's true. We got a lot of things in common. Absolutely. Yeah, I believe I picked on you with the uh, Price is Right game we did That's at the it. very end. Yeah. And and was it the Tesla you were playing for? Yes, and I did not do well. So <laughs> I didn't have a Tesla to give you just in case you did win, if you were curious yeah. at all. Yeah, the budget for the hangs are, are not quite that high. Maybe someday, but we're not quite there yet. I'm glad you're spending your money on the right things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Well, just another great year. We've been very fortunate. We've had a lot of people come aboard. We, now we have like 400 people working for us and sales have been, we're, you know, we're at 10% for sure growth this year. So really just being very fortunate to bring on new business, bring on new people and to march forward in this tough time. Yeah, something interesting is we're in an industry, and I got to knock on something, but in, in the short time that I've been in business, we've seen several recessions, and water treatment's never really been hit. Of course, I don't know if we've ever seen anything like this, where the raw materials are just so strange. It's like every week there's a new item that you can't find, but it seems like everybody I've been speaking to 
they're doing well. They're growing. They're having some things that they need to deal with, but we're getting through it. We're making better choices. Everybody's making better choices on raw materials and where they're sourcing them and getting them from. We are certainly paying more for these goods, but we're getting our customers are understanding that there's the price increases with all the things that are going on with the supply chain issues, with the delivery problems, with the lack of trucking and the lack of getting goods and services moved around. We've all come through this pretty well, and it seems like there's getting to be a lot more stability in the in the supply chain and in the manufacturing of the chemicals and, and the sourcing and what we can get. So we're going to take that and run if we can. It's getting better. I think it's going to get better for all of us. I think so, too. Of course, you know, we're dealing with the supply chain that we just mentioned, inflation, and probably the one of the weirdest hiring times that I have ever experienced. The workforce has just gone away. And it used to be you put an ad out, you got hundreds of applications. That just doesn't happen anymore. What do you think about that? What do we do? You know, we're doing a lot more training of people with no experience. I mean, you used to be you were able to hire some really great people from from Dearborn or Nalco or Olin or Chemtreat or, you know, all these great companies, bets, and those people aren't trained anymore. There's no more of that, those people in the, in the system anymore. They've kind of flushed out. So you, if you really want to do this stuff, you're going to have to hire and train your people. You know, it's, and that's one of the things we've been successful with in doing. I'm, I'm happy with what we've done. Uh, we made a decision about 15 years ago that we were going to have to do, start doing this kind of thing. And fortunately, we made the right decision. It wasn't necessarily me, but it was a combination of, of several of us talking about it in the office. So, yeah, I know people are doing well in a very weird time now, but we started talking about employees and let's face it, it is so much better to keep the employees, the team that you have and build them than it is to bring somebody else into the organization. So let's spend a little bit time of talking about how do we keep our employees happy? You want to give your employees authority for their own success. You know, allow them to do what they need to do. In sales, you want to have no ceiling on income that can be made. The company has to stand behind them. They don't want to have to feel like they're being asked to make unethical choices or or decisions that they wouldn't normally make. So they want to feel like they're doing right by their customers. The company can set that example. It's a it's it's part of what we have to do to make sure that our employees know that we're standing behind them. People are just looking to feel good about what they do and to talk about their profession in a very proud way, you know, and stability has something to do with it. We've been very fortunate to be in business for a long time. So we have that stability thing going with us. And that goes along with a lot of the water treatment companies. A lot of these water treatment companies are very good at keeping their employees and the good water treatment companies keep their good employees and they keep them together, working together, keep them as a team, you know, allow them to work together and to get to know each other and to, you know, form bonds. And I think that's worked for us. You mentioned training earlier. I think many people, many companies did exactly what you said. They relied on hiring somebody that has already been trained 
And those people are either happy where they are, they're, they're not moving, or maybe they're retiring out. So they're few and far between. So companies are now looking to themselves to develop a training program like you've just described. What advice do you have for them? Mentorship, you know, I mean, having people who have been successful in doing this work with your new people. You know, sometimes your new people aren't young people. They've been in some other industry or something. They've just never been in the water treatment industry. We can teach and train people how to do this stuff, it, it, you know, but you have to put the time into it. You can't just throw them out there and make it happen. It's, you know, it's a, it's a process where you have to, you almost have to put somebody together with somebody for, for a, a good little while so they can build their confidence up and they can feel good about what they're doing. And that really does help us train our, and get people trained, the, the newer people. And usually it is more young people because there's a lot of young people that are interested in water and taking care of our precious resources. And water is the precious resource we need to take care of more than almost more than anything, really. I remember when I got my lead AP, I was sitting in classes and they were talking about how much water they could save with low flow faucets and toilets and shower heads. And it's true, they they can, but when you look at the amount of water that we have a direct impact of saving, I can't think of another industry that can do more. I completely agree with you. I get tense when the when somebody's washing dishes and they're just letting the water run without without rinsing anything off or anything. But you can keep a cooling tower from overflowing and save forty thousand gallons a day. So there or or add another cycle or two or or whatever you do you're absolutely right i remember we had an account in dallas and this was back in the 80s and they were they had a water meter on there and they were they were using 990,000 gallons a day this was a facility that is much larger today than it was back then and so they were almost using a million gallons of water a day at this one facility at just one facility in dallas in one city, you know. So, yeah, we're we're talking about a huge impact that we can make. And the people that work with us know it and they care about it. And that that really does, you know, draws them in. It really does. I'm thinking of some of the younger people that we have hired and I want to say that was the drawing reason. People just don't want to work somewhere. They want to drive a cause. They want to be part of a solution. And like you said, there's no bigger one than the water crisis. So I think if somebody's out there today and they're not spreading the word of all the good that we do with conserving water and educating about water, we're really missing the boat. Agreed. What would you say the top five things, and I said five, come up with as many as you can, but you being such a good employer, such a good company owner, what are some things that we can do or that we have to do to make sure the team is happy? For me, it's about communication. Keep your door open, welcome feedback, encourage feedback, provide growth opportunities for them, you know, for people, minimize the glass ceilings and uh, be honest and transparent about the company's expectations. You know, let them know how the company's doing, what we're expecting and provide clear goals about the company's future. 
You know, where are we going? What are we going to do? What's next? You want to make people a part of the team. You want to teach them skills, provide them new technologies, do those kinds of things. Those are, that's what people are looking for. We've got a, a intranet site that is set up. It's our own kind of, you know, so like an internal intranet site. And we have people, you know, that come from other companies and they say, it's unbelievable the amount of stuff technical stuff you all have posted and we're we say we want it we want it posted we want all that stuff out there you know we know some of this stuff is going to go from our people to our competitors you know some some people are going to take some of this stuff we don't care it's it's good stuff to know we our feeling on this is it spreads the it's you know it spreads the knowledge out and uh there's so much business out there um, we've all got enough business that we can we can go hunt it down somewhere else if a competitor is good and they're coming in and taking business away from us, that's our fault. We need to step it up. There's nothing wrong with losing an account to somebody who comes in and says that they've had a great experience with Trace Blackmore and they're going to bring Trace in and Garrett Callahan is not going to get, is there, they're going to lose this account. And sometimes that happens and that's not always great for us, but it's good for us when it happens the other way around. And it does happen the other way around. Somebody told me once that if you ever lose an account, always lose it gracefully because you want them to be able to call you back. You don't want to burn any bridges. But I think there's another aspect to that. It's always a learning experience if you care to dive in and learn what there is to learn about that experience. Absolutely. My dad said, it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. So you got to make mistakes. Things are going to happen. It's just part of doing things and running the business and you can't fear those things you can't you can't let those things get in your head if you do you're going to be overthinking these things and you know the main thing you need to do is you need to listen to feedback from your employees is you know get in there and hear stuff back and encourage that stuff they want things to be better too they want everybody's looking to make things better. I mean, the majority of people are, are looking to make things better. And that's what you have to focus on. That's what you have to concentrate on and draw the best out of your best. Something you mentioned earlier was that people are fearful to put on technical data so their representatives can have access to it. By the way, how are they going to treat the water if they don't know what they're treating it with? But there's so many people out there that say, we're not giving away our special sauce. You guys just figure it out. What message do you have to those people that think that way? We're one of the companies that always wants our customers to be testing. We don't get many of our customers who do test. There used to be quite a few more that had the time and the the energy to do that, but it's not possible anymore. And a lot of times you can get things like the, the units, the remote monitoring units that, that allow that stuff for you. But we want them to know what phosphonate is. We want them to know what azoles are. We want them to know what the testing limits are. We want them to understand this. It helps us because we don't understand why our competitors would, would discourage testing the only reason that we've seen over and over again is because they're either going to undertreat or overtreat, you know, depending on whether it's a service agreement or a buy as you need. Our encouragement is always to know as much as you can. And we're proud of our chemicals. We have fairly high concentrated chemicals. And I think that most of our uh, competitors know that, you know, 
that's something we're proud of. We don't mind talking about it. You know, that's a, <laughs> and you know, I think I shared this with you before. We really truly make an effort to buy American, buy European, buy the stuff, the, the best quality stuff. I was, uh, I read an article in the CEO, this, they send me the CEO thing and it, it always got these great articles with this pe- these people. And this was the guy, Ethan Allen. And 20 years ago, he made a decision and not everybody liked it, but he made a decision. We're not going to be like every other furniture company. We're going to keep it in North America. And so he built a factory down in Mexico and he built something, I think in Barbados or something like that. Or, and now everybody's you know calling him a genius. And it's like, he did what was right. I wish we would use Mexico more. I wish we we could work with Canada more. And we were a little bit more working with South America, you know, places that are close to us and that that could benefit greatly from having our ability to share our good fortune with other countries in North America or South America. You mentioned Ethan Allen. That was the first piece of real furniture that my wife and I bought when we got married. It was a television entertainment center. And we really saved for that. That was like, okay, we have a real relationship now. We've made it. We've bought real furniture. And today the television doesn't even fit in it because it was the old profile television. (laughs) But you still got the furniture. We still still have it. It's in the guest room. Yeah. It's nice to hear those stories and it's nice to, you know, to know that that stuff's still happening. You know, getting back to your question, I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, we're happy for, for them to know what we do and where it comes from and the sourcing and all this stuff. And, and we'll, we'll share that with people um, because we're proud of it. Sometimes we make our chemicals, we put too much, you know, you know, they have nine ingredients or something. And it's a pain because one raw material you can't get s- slows down the, the supply chain stuff. So, but it's gotten a lot better. And I hope you've seen the same thing. And I hope all the water treatment companies are seeing the same thing. We are seeing a real softening of this and being able to get our raw materials a lot easier than we used to. It's definitely getting better, but did you ever think there would be a day where you put a purchase order in for nitrite and they said, we don't have that. <laughs> it's back ordered for like six months. What? How is nitrite back ordered that much? You know, I agree, but who knows how they make nitrite because of, you know, could it be some shortage of something else they're not doing? And, you know, we, I mean, we saw this years ago, I know you'll remember this with the molybdate, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and everybody changed their formulations. You know, it used to be molybdate was used as a corrosion inhibitor. Now it's really used mostly just as a testing, you know, I mean, I mean, we do use some molybdates in some, in some closed systems and at high levels and things like that. And there are some of our cooling water formulas that have high levels of molybdate, but for the most part now, most of that stuff's out of there and a lot of people don't, you know, it's just another whatever they call, you know, metal that they don't want in there. Well, the, the funny thing about that was, that was about, what, about 2006, 2007 yeah, when that happened? Like, yeah. And, and we were like, okay, fine. We can figure out not putting molybdate into those products. But when you have almost every single raw material that you can't get, well, okay, I guess we're shipping water today. Right. Yeah. It's gotten a lot better, hadn't it? So thank goodness. It, it definitely has gotten better just just weird times. Well, you've already mentioned training. What are some other things that you do around employee development? This year, we had orientation 
out here. So we had two groups of orientation. We hadn't done orientation in two years since COVID started. So we had gone 2020, 2021, and and up to this summer, so two and a half years without training, orientation and training, doing train, a lot of training online. But we, we got 50 people out here once and 60 people out here once. So we, we, we trained a whole new group of employees that we had brought on at, over the last couple of years. And a lot of now what we're doing is we're doing the online stuff. There's a lot of, you know, we have the ASSE training. We have our own internal stuff with a water safety group. We have a water safety group that does a lot of chlorine dioxide, potable water treatment, and just regular disinfection of systems. We have a, a testing thing that's similar to the thing that AWT did. So that's all part of our training when we get people on board. And then, uh, like I said, a huge, humongous cache of technical bulletins, what we used to call our lab letters many years ago. We've, we've kind of incorporated that all into technical bulletins, all of our product bulletins and equipment bulletins. I mean, we have an immense amount of product and technical information online. And the great thing is we've got all the old stuff from our technical people back in the 60s and 50s when they were writing stuff that still applies today. It's really, truly amazing. It's changed a lot, but it hasn't changed that much. I mean, more of the changes have been in the in the equipment, the, the way that the equipment runs, is, is not, not as much as the chemicals, you know. There may be a change coming up, but, uh, you know, phosphonates and, you know, once they took over for the chromates and things like that, and I know the technical people are probably listening to me going, oh, my God, I can't. You know, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I am not a technical person. I'm sorry. There is I, something I, for I'm, everybody yeah. on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. <laughs> you got it. I know very little technically. Well, you mentioned equipment. So I, I truly feel that we are going to get to a point where the artificial intelligence is so good that we are going to be able to service less. We're going to be able to go to our customers less. We're going to do more remote monitoring. And that's now going to allow us to provide higher and better services. What's your thought on that? I agree with you that remote monitoring is awesome. My concern is in the small amount of time that some of our competitors have been doing it, they just stopped going by the customer completely. And you can't do that. You got to go look at the cooling tower. You got to go make contact with these people. You've got to be involved. You got to see the system. You, I mean, we can't look into side of a boiler except for if there's a boiler inspection, but you can look inside of a cooling tower. You can be there. You can, you can see what's going on. I don't know why. The customer with a 200-ton cooling tower doesn't have a remote monitoring conductivity control, you know, some type of a controller on their system. I don't understand that. They're 5,000, 5,000 or whatever the, at the most with pumps and everything. How much does it cost to have somebody go buy that cooling tower and look at that and monitor it every day? Equipment is unbelievably cheap. It is a cheap babysitter, you know. You know, and I don't know, understand why, especially people who have, you know, 2000 ton cooling towers, why in the world would you not have some type of unit that is doing the work for you and it's properly monitoring your chemicals? Not only that is it's probably leaving you with some form of, 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 of data that you can show and prove to people that you're treating the system properly, you know? 
not only that, it can alert us when something's wrong. So you get an alert when your customer's cooling tower is overflowing. You call the customer up and you say, hey, something's funny here. Can you go check the cooling tower? And they go and they say, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I was just over there two hours ago and it wasn't doing that. And now it's overflowing. So, you know, it's, it's impressive if used properly. And we have groups of people who are really good at monitoring these things. They have like 60 controllers online and they, they're doing like what you just said. You're out in Oklahoma. You don't want to have to make a run, you know, 80 miles to go check why the pump is not working or whatever. I mean, you can call the person up and say, I see something. Can you check on something? Can you prime the pump? Can you do this? And, uh, you know, go take them to lunch next time they, you go out there. I'm amazed at how many people have water management plans and don't have some sort of remote access. So you get a positive Legionella in a cooling tower. Right then when you get that notice, you can do something about it. So I'm hoping that at the very least, we start seeing a shift where one, we get more water management plans. And then as we start getting those, customers are relinquishing funding to allow professionals like us to do the things we need to do in a better time frame without having to drive across traffic, across town. And we still have to do that. But now by the time we get there, we've already put something into place. And now we're testing the effect of that instead of initiating that. I agree. So much less wasted time on everybody's part. It's the wave of the future. I mean, if you're not doing the remote monitoring now, you will be doing it at some point. Part of the problem becomes is they want to make sure none of this data is shared with anybody else. So they want to, you know, so that has something to do with it. Certainly cost has something to do with it. I guess people just have to figure out where they want to spend their money because it's like you said, there, there's no real good reason not to do it. It's a no brainer. You know, once you get it in, set it and forget it. Clean a probe every once in a while, do those kinds of things. You're going to have to go. And, and, but the beauty is, is like when you come in, you can go straight to work. You go right over there, you go check everything and look everything because you know everything's pretty much humming around the right levels. So that gives you time to do other things. Talk with the, the chief and, you know, get details about what's going on at the account and how they're running. Are there other issues that you don't know about? Sometimes you have to talk to them because sometimes they're not going to tell you that, oh, yeah, well, last week the coolant tower was, we just shut the coolant tower down for a week and they just sat there stagnant, you know? Did you need to know that? <laughs> <laughs> the remote monitoring will tell you that, you know? So, yeah. And maybe sometimes that's, they don't want you to know all that either. So, who knows? Well, the story that you just shared, I have that exact story. We convinced a customer to buy a new control package. It had some remote monitoring. And not too long after it was put online, we started getting alarms. Uh, one, there was excessive water usage and the conductivity just plummeted. And this was in a large army base here in the Atlanta metropolitan area. And we called them and we said, we can come out if we need to, but chances are something's going on with your tower makeup. It's overflowing. Well, it had an older float valve on it and it had just fallen off and it was floating in the cooling tower. And how long would that have kept going on? And this was a large system. So pretty much in that weekend, they paid for the entire investment. And that never happens. So I just love that story. You have any stories like that? Well, I know we have stories exactly like that, you know, sure. but I don't know specific stories, but it's pretty simple. There's sometimes where 
just one weekend will pay for the whole year of treatment, you know, of, you know, just one, one gaff or one, one slip up or speed bump or something that just sends that tower into, we saw this a lot when they were doing the, uh, the stuff where they were cycling up the cooling towers and putting silica in it. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were going up to like 10,000 or whatever. And as soon as one little thing happened, the whole system just laid down a scale everywhere. And it's like, oh man, it's, it's so precarious. You're just right on that razor's edge. And do you want to be there? That's a very dangerous position to be. You know, most water treaters know that once you get up to about 10 cycles, you know, you're not. Yeah, it's negligible. Yeah, it, you're, not, you're not getting huge savings uh, in anything. You're just taking a lot more risk. And, and, and it also, of course, it depends on where you are. You're not going to get 10 cycles in Los Angeles. You're going to get 20 cycles maybe here in San Francisco, you know, but in Dallas or Atlanta, we all have the same issues. You know, there's either hardness or there's softness or whatever. I mean, there's no alkalinity or whatever. It's, it's a balance. And the customers have to make these decisions. And we have to do a better job of showing them how this saves them money and how this saves them time. We used to have this uh, one, this little thing, and you know, this was before any computer-generated stuff or anything, and it was just a little piece of paper. And it had all these little faucets on it. It had like six or seven faucets on it. And it had a, you know, a 116th drip or a 18th drip and a one-quarter drip. And it showed you how many gallons... You know, it was, it was, you know, it was just one of those things early in the, yeah, I'm sure I'm you're pretty sure I have that in one of my manuals. Yes. It, right? Yeah. My dad used it. I know, you know, because Mike Wilhite, our district manager gave it to me. So back then you could show somebody and if you could talk to them and make them understand there was real clarity in it and there was, they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So I see, you know, I'm, this is a huge amounts of water. And when you buy water, they charge you more for sewage than they charge you for getting it there. So anything you can do to reduce those numbers allows you to take that off. And of course, you know, we were always back then, we were saying, hey, anything over 500 tons, you should be putting a water meter on the on the front end and the back end. Catch those differences and report them to the city. And you don't have to pay the difference in between the, the windage and the bleedage or whatever, you know. It pays for your water treatment. Right, exactly. And the smart companies did it. You know, and th- there's still those things that are that are available for people who will use the equipment and the and the technologies that are available. And there's a lot of great stuff out there. There's Aquaseca. There's stuff like where you you tie those things onto the pipes and you listen to the sounds of the pipes. You hear the water wasting in these commercial buildings. It's a huge payback if you can get it right. Scaling Nation, as you can tell, Jeff and I really like talking with each other. How did I meet Jeff? Well, I met him because he came to a hang. Well, what the heck is a hang? Well, you know what a hang is. A hang is where we get together, we do this every single quarter, and we make sure that we are meeting each other, that we are talking to each other, that we're sharing problems with each other and maybe getting solutions with each other. And we do it with fun. It takes place every single quarter for one hour. That's 6 p.m. for one hour Eastern Standard Time. And you're probably wondering when the next hang is. 
And the hang will be on April 14th. Again, that's going to be 6 p.m. Eastern for exactly one hour. You can go to scalingoph2o.com forward slash hang to find out all about the hang and to register. And as you heard on today's interview, it's the second time that Jeff has come on the podcast. And it was because we met on the hang. So who will you meet on the hang? And why would you deny yourself for that opportunity? Speaking of opportunity, another opportunity that I think you have in our industry is to prove to the entire world that you are an expert in this field. And a great way to do that is getting your certified water technologist designation. And to help you build your confidence to take this examination, we have a free course and a paid course on scalinguph2o.com forward slash academy. And at that webpage, you will see all of the courses that we are offering. And the CWT courses are designed to give you more confidence so you can take the Certified Water Technologist Examination. I truly believe that there are so many people out there that could pass the CWT. They just don't have the confidence to sign up and take that examination. It's my hope that these courses give you that confidence and you get that valuable designation that you need to show the world that you are here and you are part of the industrial water treatment industry and that industry is better because you are a certified water technologist. Well, Nation, as you heard, Jeff and I are not through speaking. We are going to continue my interview with Jeff Garrett next week. I can't wait to bring that episode to you next week. In the meantime, it's my hope that you consider what you can do to take the next step in your career. Maybe it's getting your CWT. Maybe it's doing something a little bit differently than what you do each and every day. Maybe it's talking to somebody in your organization and asking what you can do to make you better. Whatever it is, your assignment for this week is to think about that and act on it. And hopefully by the time we continue this week's interview, you have started making yourself a better water treater. That's our goal here on Scaling Up H2O is to raise the bar in the industrial water treatment industry. And we do that by you doing something a little bit differently and individually us raising the bar just a fraction of an inch we're able to raise it a tremendous height. Thank you for helping me do that. And thank you for listening to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Have a great week, folks. Scaling Up Nation, you asked for it and it is here. So many of you are taking the Certified Water Technologist examination and you're wanting to get better information on how to better answer the mock exam. Now, this is the exam that you get when you sign up for 
the CWT exam. Well, I have heard your request and I've done exactly that. I have recorded a class that has exactly what you've been asking for. It is me answering each one of the questions and letting you know why I chose certain answers. And of course, everybody wants me to do math and I do all the math on the mock exam. So you can see how to get the right answer. And I hope this is something that will help build your confidence so you can get your certification. You can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Get out there and get your certification today.